The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. I invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 4. The Bible is full of metaphors regarding our salvation. Our salvation is compared to the healing of an illness, rescue from disaster, marriage, a great banquet, feast, and more. In our passage, salvation is compared to rest. Let us hear from Hebrews 4 to consider how to find rest for weary souls. I read verses 1 through 13. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then... There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from the work, his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is God's word. Father, once again, I would ask, at the words of my mouth, and that the meditations of each of our hearts might be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. New York has earned the nickname, the city that never sleeps. When I was in London three years ago for a mission trip, the subway, otherwise known as, as the tube, was preparing for 24-hour service. Never closed. A sign of a growing trend among many global cities of 
around-the-clock activity. Indeed, we live in a restless age. The word rest is mentioned at least eight times in our passage. Our bodies need rest lest they malfunction. Our minds need rest in order to think clearly. And our souls need rest and more than mere sleep can provide. Many of us battle to get enough sleep. I am one who has never been a great sleeper. Napping does not come easily to me. I can remember my teen years struggling to fall asleep with a mind wired and wound up from the day's events. And as I grow older, I find my mind revved up early in the morning before my body has had enough rest and is ready to waken. We use caffeine to fight our body's need for sleep. We use melatonin to fall asleep, Ambien to stay asleep. We take a dose of NyQuil if we are struggling with a flu or a cough to get rest. Many of us, for many of us, fighting the fight for rest is an ongoing battle. But Hebrews here is speaking of a need for rest that is much greater than slumber can provide. The author challenges us to strive to enter God's rest and not be like the Exodus generation who failed to enter due to rebellious unbelief. Two weeks ago, we considered the danger of a hardened heart. This morning, we consider how the fall and our sin nature has left us with restless hearts. Well, the cure for restlessness is found in Christ alone. Let's consider how Hebrews 4 instructs us to rest in God's Sabbath, rest in God's salvation, and to rest in God's word, or if you like to alliterate, God's sword. Verse 1 mentions the promise of entering God's rest while it still stands. The Old Testament people of God were looking forward to God's coming rest, and it's the same Sabbath rest mentioned in verse 9 that we look to as well. This rest in God's Sabbath is both for this life and the life to come. We know that God rested on the seventh day from his completed work of creation, mentioned and referenced here in verse 4. Now, God did not rest because he was tired any more than he made man because he was lonely. Rather, this rest, God's rest, is an indication that his sovereign rule was unchallenged. His reign is one of unrest, unrivaled. His rule is effectively effortless. On the seventh day, God's work was completed. It became a boundary marker for man's weekly work and ultimately points to the eternal Sabbath where God's people will dwell in his presence forever. Now, the six days of creation followed by the one day of rest became a pattern for the Israelite agrarian society, indicating to them that they could trust God with seven days provision for six days' labor. You may recall how in the wilderness Israel would gather a double amount of manna on the sixth day to prepare for the seventh day. Now the promise of entering rest at that time applied to the land of Canaan where the people looked forward to settling down, 
to not being constantly on the move to enjoy peace, security, and prosperity. Naomi uses the same idea of rest when she colludes with Ruth, seeking for her a rest in the home of Boaz, a potential husband, provider, and protector. The Sabbath experienced in the Old Testament was a reminder of God's creation, a reminder of God's redemption of his people out of Egypt, and held out the promise of entering the land and the promise of the one coming of the Messiah. For us, Sunday, this side of the cross, Sunday, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, the day in which Jesus rose from the dead, we call the Christian Sabbath the day we set aside for worship and fellowship. Now often, not often, but every so often, people inquire, me or one of the other pastors, about how strict to hold to Sunday as the Christian Sabbath. And my response to such inquiry usually goes like this that Sunday is to be regarded a holy day, a day to prioritize worship and rest. But I find myself reluctant to give a lot of rules or strict guidelines around the Sabbath. As I remember the words of Jesus to the Pharisees, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Nevertheless, the fourth commandment still stands, as do the other nine. And I believe it indicates to us the priority of worship. And that priority uh, is above and beyond needs for work, recreation, commerce, and travel. So I regularly advise people to try to avoid hindrances that keep one from gathering for worship. For families, that may mean saying no to Sunday morning sports. That may be guiding your teenagers to ask off on Sundays for part-time work. It may mean shopping in advance for uh, taking care of the lawn before Sunday. In a busy, complicated society, it is very hard to be consistent. It's also very easy to become legalistic. But I believe the Scriptures would challenge us to be faithful, to prioritize corporate worship, gathering with God's people, And remember that Jesus even qualified his Sabbath principle with works of necessity, doing good deeds of mercy on the Lord's Day, a special day to be set apart from the other days of the week. But resting in God's Sabbath is more than just a Sunday affair. There's actually a change in the term used for rest in Hebrews 4. It begins by applying primarily to the people entering the land of Canaan. But in verse 9, we find this combination word, which is usually translated Sabbath, rest. It points to the fact that the Sabbath promise has not yet been fulfilled. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It points ahead to future glory. It points ahead to what Christ has already fulfilled, that the down payment upon the cross and resurrection looks forward to his return when he establishes a new heaven and a new earth. Now we know, as it indicates here in the passage, that, that God's Sabbath rest did not end because there was no end to the seventh day of creation, unlike the other six days. And that entering God's rest means something more than just one day of rest. It means entering into a saving relationship with the living God. And if you have trusted in Christ for your salvation, you can rest 
You need not worry whether there is a place for you in heaven. You need not be afraid of what the world may do to you. If you rest in Christ, you can face loss, suffering, even death, because you have the confidence that God will bring you to your eternal rest. Soldiers on duty have to have constant, constantly be on alert. The battlefield is a place of vigilance where soldiers experience sleepless nights, are constantly dirty, rarely eat a full and satisfying meal. But when soldiers go on leave, they can rest, shower, eat a full and satisfying meal. This life is a war zone, and we are still in enemy-occupied territory. There is danger. We will endure setbacks, and we will face restlessness. So in response to this world, we're called to stay alert, to watch each other's back, to endure hardships like a good soldier of Christ, even as we look forward to a Sabbath where we'll be free from enemies, sin, death, anxiety, fear, and worry. Now the Exodus generation was looking forward to a rest in the land. They grew tired of living in tents, of wandering about in the wilderness. They wanted to settle in their own homes to enjoy peace, security from their enemies, and enjoy prosperity. And yet that generation was short-sighted, who rejected ultimate rest in God. Much later when Jesus fed the 5,000 in John chapter 6, he rebuked them because he saw in them the same spirit as the Exodus generation. These people wanted full bellies, but they did not want him. And so Jesus gave them a hard teaching that they must eat his flesh. And of course, Jesus was not advocating cannibalism, but he was advocating full identification, partnership, and faith in him, the one who is greater than Moses. When Jesus encountered the Samaritan woman at the well, she was surprised that Jesus would ask her for a drink. And in exchange, he offered her living water. The Samaritan woman was short-sighted at first, just thinking that she would have to not continue coming back to Jacob's well. But then she understood that Jesus offered to quench her soul with a relationship with the living God. We must be careful not to let our temporal needs to blind us from our eternal needs. Yes, for some, it can be lazy sleeping in on a Sunday morning. For others, their temptation is workaholism, chasing after dollars, and missing true treasures. Maybe looking forward to retirement or your next vacation. And these are not bad things in and of themselves. But do you desire heaven more than earthly rest? I believe that biblical rest is not doing nothing. Heaven will not be a place of workless leisure, but rather redeemed work, no longer stained and tainted by sin. I assume most of us want financial security, Peace and harmony within our families. And these are good things. 
but they are secondary to the security and peace that comes from dying to self, confessing one's sins, asking the Lord for forgiveness and walking in new life through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus grew tired. There are times that he withdrew from the crowds. There were times when the crowds became so overwhelming he took his disciples on a retreat. But the time came when he entered the restlessness of temptation on the night on which he was betrayed to face the cross after a sleepless night. He endured his father's wrath. He bore our sin that you and I might not endure eternal insomnia, the dark night of the soul forever. And so we must rest in God's Sabbath. And we must also rest in God's salvation. Verse 3 is clear, that we who believe enter God's rest from Abraham's day till now until Christ returns. Those who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ receive the gift of God's rest. By faith, you have been saved. Is not enough to merely go to church, to understand the gospel, even to affirm membership vows as we, as we have just witnessed this morning. We must rest on Christ. In verse 10, instructs and tells us that those who have entered God's rest have rested from their works. A reminder that we are saved by works, by the works of Christ, not our own. Pioneer missionary John Payton, when translating the Bible into a tribal language among a people group in the South Pacific, ran into a snag when he discovered that their language had no word for faith. And then one day he observed the hunters coming back from a hunting expedition. And the hunters threw themselves upon chairs and cried out, My, it is good to stretch yourself out and rest. Well, there it was, the missing piece. He had the phrase he needed to communicate biblical faith in this native tongue, to stretch yourself out and rest. Stretch yourself out on the Lord Jesus Christ. Rest in him alone for your salvation. Verse 2 tells us that the good news came to them, referring to the Exodus generation, But the message they heard did not benefit them. They were hearers of the word, but not doers of the word. They did not let the word remove the scales from their eyes or unclog their ears. Verse 6 says that they received the good news, but they failed to enter due to their disobedience. Hebrews reminds us of the kind of faith that saves Verse 11 does tell us to strive to enter that rest. So yes, we are saved by faith alone, but not a faith that is alone. It brings with it new life, new relationships, good works, and a will to persevere to the end by the grace of God. Faith without works is like sleep apnea. The sufferer of sleep apnea may look asleep, but is constantly waking up due to a breathing disorder. Sufferers of sleep apnea 
do not wake up in the morning feeling rested. Their vital organs do not get replenished as needed. Severe sleep apnea gone untreated can be fatal. Well, faith without true rest in Christ is eternally fatal. Whether it's faith in our own works or faith without works, both are disorders of resting in God's salvation. And the one obstacle that prevents people from entering God's rest is His wrath. And there is only one way that God's wrath is satisfied, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. People are not entitled to enter heavenly rest and peace. Funeral messages across our land are often a travesty, as false preachers preach people into heaven who have no business there. People today merely believe that death earns them a spot in the good place. No, it does not. Death merely makes permanent and makes the condition permanent of those who are not in Christ. And so how do people miss the way? How do people fail to enter that rest? Well, they could misunderstand the gospel. They could fail to embrace it. They might refuse to admit their need of a Savior. They might not take ownership of their sin. They may resist the Holy Spirit and to ask for forgiveness, resulting in a hardened heart that insists on one's own autonomy. But those who rest in God's salvation through a deep and abiding faith in Jesus alone are confident, have the confidence of entering the rest of God. Well, lastly, we consider Hebrews 4 as it instructs us to rest in God's Word. Verse 12 was actually a bit jarring with its turn of focus onto God's Word, which is compared to a sword like elsewhere in Scripture. But it shows us how our rest in God's Word both revives us and renews us. The Word of God is living and active. It is not dead. It has not decayed over time. It has not fallen out of use. It may be unfashionable, but it speaks relevant truth in every age. It is not passive, but active. The Word actually awakens the sleeper who rested unaware of the looming threat of God's wrath. 1 Peter 1.23 says that we are born again through a living faith, the living and abiding Word of God. Various legends and fairy tales fantasize about the perfect invincible weapon, perhaps a sword whose blade will never lose its edge. But all weapons and tools in this life grow dull, like our mower blades that must be sharpened before the mowing season. But the Word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates any barrier. It divides soul and spirit like a scalpel, does its work on muscle and bone. The Word of God discerns our thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. It sees inside of us better than the MRI or any other scanning technology. The Word is the primary tool in the hands of the master surgeon to remove dangerous cancers. 
critical scholars may stand in judgment upon the Bible, but in truth, it is the Bible that stands in judgment upon them and us. And while we are called to rest in God's Word, we have to candidly admit that the Word oftentimes brings unrest. The Word disrupts us. It lets us not slumber in our sin. It provokes, quickens. It challenges us like a coach not content with an athlete's workout. The Word of God sharpens. It fine-tunes us. It improves us. And the Word acts like a mirror to reflect back to us our flaws and our need for correction. I don't suppose many here left their home without first checking your appearance in a mirror. So it is with the Word of God we need it to correct and challenge us, us and enable us to conform to the ways of God. But we must be careful how we use God's Word to not dull its edge by paying it mere lip service, ignoring it, or insisting it doesn't say what it clearly says. Now, the Word of God does not become dull, but we become dull in our negligence of it. Let the Word of God penetrate you. Do not let your heart be hardened, but keep it tender and teachable before the Lord. Let the Word be active to stir you up, to convict you of sin, to correct bad attitudes, to give you a right God-sized perspective. The Word of God uproots seeds of unbelief, doubt, and selfish ambition. May we be in the Word on a regular basis with our spouses, with our children, with a close company of faithful believers who hunger and thirst for the Word of God. Do not neglect it, but keep you sharp. Just as an ancient soldier would not go into battle without his sword, so we must be prepared and equipped to face the world filled with temptation. But the Word teaches us not to rest in the things of the world. And that is why the world hates the Word. Because the Word of God critiques every culture, every man, woman, and child. Everybody by nature picks and chooses what to believe, what parts they agree with and want to adopt. The people of the East love the Bible's critique of human immorality, but hates its teaching to forgive one's enemies. People in the West love the Bible's teachings on justice and care for the poor, but despise its teachings on marriage and personal holiness. So we must not take offense at the Bible's teachings to assume that it is wrong when it contends with our pet beliefs and does not conform to our biases. Rather, we must allow the Word of God to judge and critique us to mold and conform us in a manner that is pleasing in the eyes of our Savior. And we must acknowledge the power of God's Word that breaks into entrenched patterns of sin and unbelief, addiction and ineffectiveness, doubt and fear, anger and bitterness, all of which leaves us trapped in bondage to the world, the flesh, and the devil. See, the Word sets us free from resting in worthless things who may rest in the gospel of God alone. The gospel is rest for the restless, hope 
for the hopeless, joy for the despairing, peace for the conflicted, acceptance for the rejected, relationship for the lonely, cleansing for the defiled, forgiveness for the guilty, guidance for the aimless, focus for the distracted, food for the starving, satisfaction for the dissatisfied, wholeness for the broken, dignity for the violated. It's rest for weary souls. I cannot promise you that Christ will resolve all of your sleep problems. But he has resolved to meet your greatest need for rest, eternal rest and eternal glory. Here, Jesus calling us when he says, Come to me, all who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, in a restless age you have spoken truth. You have given us your Son who faced restlessness on our behalf that we might enjoy rest and peace and security with you forever. As we enter into a new week, we pray that we might rest in the hope and joy and the peace we have in Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen.